Today is an important day for Bobby Allison. Offering a chance to win a third Daytona 500, and erase the memory of his nightmarish crash of last May in Alabama. A crash that changed the character of stock car racing. As a result of that crash, engine restrictions were mandated, hopefully to make racing safer. But that wasn't the case earlier this week, for while Allison came back to win a key qualifying race, it was a day that strange things happened on the track, as neither master mechanics nor veteran drivers could get their cars to behave. So if bad luck should befall Bobby Allison today, another man to watch is in the front row, his son Davey. Unlike his father, the younger Allison has never won a Daytona. But he is not alone in that category. There's two of the sports superstars, former national champion Darrell Waltrip and driver of the year Dale Earnhardt, are also gunning for their first Daytona 500 victory. Who will emerge victorious? We'll soon know as CBS Sports brings you live the Daytona 500. Hello and welcome to episode number 64 of the Legend vs. Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Pancari in Thunder Bay, Ontario. Joining me over Skype is my brother, Brett. And Brett, we've done the 88 and 90 U.S. Nationals for the year we were born. And now we're going to do the, those editions of the Great American Race, starting off with being posted on my birthday today, the 1988 edition of the Daytona 500. Your thoughts going into this? Um, I didn't have a lot of... I kind of know what the significance of that race, but I didn't never really watch that race in general. And... Um, well, we'll get into the details about certain parts of the cars, but um, my expectations were kind of mixed. Like, I didn't really know how this race was going to go, in all honesty. So let's set the scene a little bit here of what's happening in NASCAR Winston Cup Series. In 1987, Dale Earnhardt won his third championship, his second straight, and really probably his most dominant season of 11 wins. Uh, Cruised the championship, well had a Bill Light, who was second for the second time in three years, also number 1985. Rest of the top 10 that year, Terry Labonte was third his first season with Junior Johnson, his best results since winning the title in 1984. Fourth was Darrell Walter with his first year of Hendrick Motorsports, only won one race, Martin so late in the year, which was the least amount of wins he had in a season, just the one, since 1976. Rusty Wallace was fifth in points, uh, Ricky Rudd was sixth, his final season with Bud Moore, which had been since 1984. Kyle Petty was seventh, Richard Petty was eighth, his best finish in his standing since 1983 when he was fourth, and also that was his final season as a top 10 points finisher. Ninth was Bobby Allison, and 10th was Ken Schrader, who was in his third and final season with Junie Donlevy. Davey Allison, who didn't run the full season, but won two races at Talladega and Dover, was 21st in points and was Rookie of the Year. Yeah. Most of the about ICA Sam said you could drive those cars in iRacing. Who knew? Yeah, so that's way in the future. 1988 <laughs> changes at this point. We mentioned, they kind of allude to some of the, from the teams that are moving on. Uh, at King Racing, owned by Drag Racing, Kenny Bernstein, Ricky Rudd replaces Morgan Shepard. Uh, Brett Bonin replaces Ricky Rudd at Bud Moore. At Hendrick, Ken Schrader replaces Benny Parsons, who had replaced Tim Richmond during the 1987 season, and more in Richmond in a bit. Right, Benny Parsons ends up, it's really a swap, he ends up going to replace Schrader at Junior Donnelly Racing. Davey Allison is going full-time in the hair veneer, eventually Robert Yates' car. Mark Martin is full-time at Roush, there's a new team on the scene. Lake Speed and Rick Wilson are in full-time rise. Kale Yarbrough in his final season as a competitor splits with Dale Jarrett. Uh, rookie of the Year contenders are Ken Bouchard, Brad, Brad Knopfsinger, and Ernie Irvin. Uh, Dale Earnhardt has switched from the Wrangler jeans scheme to the iconic, iconic, as Sean Butler would say, Black Goodrich number three Chevy. Uh, also, we have restricted plates at Daytona and Talladega. Uh, the last two years here are smaller carburetors after Bobby Allison's car over 200 miles per hour blew a tire and smashing into the catch fence. Also, Buick, Oldsmobile, and Pontiac with downsized, different-looking cars. And also, tire wars as Hoosier enters the fray. 
Uh, they would battle with Goodyear until the radial tires were introduced by Goodyear during the 1989 season. We'll get into more on the tire war side of things when we recap the 88 season. Yeah, a lot of, there are definitely a lot of those changes, like you said. Um, like the one that stood out, I think, for me uh, was the fact that that whole tire war with Hoosier and Goodyear. Um, like, why would he, why would he even allow the count in the first place? But still, um, actually, so a plug here. Um, if you watch the video by Slapshoes, I think it is, he had a, a good segment regarding the uh, tire war. But I mean, we'll go with the details here. But if you just want to, you want to watch something, you can watch that too. I prefer the NASCAR Man series, but that's another story for another day. <laughs> True. Uh, anyway, the 88 Speed Week. We start off January 31st into February 1st at Daytona 24 Hours. Martin Brundle, Raul Boisel, and John Nelson win in a casual Jaguar GTP. GTO class won by Scott Pruitt, Paul Miller, Bob Aiken, and Pete Halsburton in number 11, Roush Ford. Dave Simpson, Tom Hesser Jr., Dave Waring in lights, and GTO was Dennis Shaw, Bob Lazier, and Amos Johnson. Notable drivers, there's a lot. Bob Wallach, Brian Redman, a team of Eddie Cheever, John Watson, Johnny Dupfries. Hans Stuck, Sarah Vandenberba, a team of Alf, Alf Foyt, A.J. Foyt, Al Hunter Jr., and Elliot Suarez Robinson, a team of Al Holbert, Chip Robinson, Derek Bell, a team of Price Cobb, James Weber, and Rob Dyson, Jack Baldwin, Hans the Vice Inventor, Jim Downing, Bill Oberlin, Butch Leitzinger, Scott Legacy, a team of Davy Jones, Danny Sullivan, Jan Lommers, a team of Willie T. Ribs, Rocky Moran, and Juan Manuel Alfonso II, a team of Tommy Archer and Bill Adam, a team of Bruce Jenner, Scott Goodyear, Tom Gloyd, Calvin Fish, and Ari Leindyke. That's a lot of drivers. Dennis Ossie and Steve Millen were a team, a team of Parnelli Jones with his son PJ, Paul Genalozzi's in the race, Mark Martin teamed up with Lynn St. James, Jeff Andretti, Billy Hagen with Sterling Marlin, Bob Julius and Hurley Haywood, Bobby Allison teamed up with his son Clifford, and rounding out the field of notables Wayne Taylor and Dorsey Schrader. That's way, way, way many drivers compared to what we had <laughs> this year's Rolex 24. Good lord. Are we almost say GTO or like any GTP or about well, uh, mix all over the place really, I think. <laughs> yeah. Uh Saturday Saturday, February sixth, the twenty five hundred qualifying. Kenny Schrader gets to pull the first of three straight for him in the twenty five hundred car. His lap speed of one ninety three point eight two three miles per hour, slightly slower than last year's two hundred and ten point three six four by Bill Elliott. The slowest speed for a pole starts since nineteen seventy eight. Davy Allison qualifies second fastest, there's your front row locked in for the Great American race. Not that it matters, but the rest of the top 10 in qualifying were Jeff Bodine, Daryl Walter, Bobby Allison, Bill Elliott, who won the last three polls there, Ricky Rudd, Sterling Marlin, Kyle Petty, and Dale Earnhardt. Uh, yeah, that's from really, well, no, like, was on the front row and all that, but like I said, the speeds with the restricted plates um, really, really slowed the cars down a lot, and it was, where you're going to see, it was definitely a learning curve, I think, for a lot of the drivers as well, and even, even brought some fatigue, even just in, um, the Clash races. In the Bush Clash, Dale Earnhardt holds off Davey Allison and Bobby Allison to get the win. Raise hell, praise Dale. Jeff Bowen and Bill Elliott are top five. The big story, though, was Tim Richmond. Richmond got a pull early in the year. At the time, he's battling AIDS, but that's not disclosed at this point. That wouldn't happen until after he passed away in 1989. Uh, Richmond had been slated to drive for Ken Reagan. He failed the drug test on Saturday, told by NASCAR that he had tested positive for amphetamines and opioids, later revealed to be just Advil and Sudafed. On Monday, he passes the second drug test after the race. Then it gets into the need, his physical and whatnot. He's not supplying that information, and it whole becomes a whole lawyer situation and whatnot. He never drives again and dies in 1989. A wild rumor at the time, this is talked about on both Speed Week and Motor Week Illustrated, shout out to David Spain and Bob Varsha, that he wants to run funny cars. And he had apparently been talked to his former cup owner, Raymond Beetle, about doing that. That would have been seen. Tim Richmond driving funny cars. Let's go. Uh. 
about him driving a funny car. <laughs> but he was probably losing his mind, though, like with the whole drug test situation any, anyway, so... Yeah, and a lot um, of it, if you read between the lines, it sounds like the drug test situation, which is a whole mess. It's talked about in one of the uh, NASCAR main videos. Uh, I think that was done to try and railroad Tim out, but that's another story for another day. Also that same day, the Arca Lunatics. Not as much Lunatics, though, in the 200 lapper. Mickey Gibbs wins over Red Farmer, Charlie Glotzback, recently, recent Michigan State Lottery winner at the time, Jay Somers, and Bill Venturini. Notables in the race were Tracy Leslie, Bobby Gerhardt finished 6th and 13th, also Rodney Combs, Grant Adcock, the finishing last, Bob Keselowski, Brad's dad. It's probably sounding more like a gentleman's series compared to what we have today in ARCA from what I'm hearing those drivers. <laughs> uh, in the 2125s, the run on February 11th, a nice field of 69 cars involved, 21 of them in wrecks, the most damage in the Twins. Yes, haha, yes. The sickles weren't around yet, but we'll call it that. Uh, Bobby Allison wins the first race over Rusty Wallace, Kenny Schrader, Greg Sachs, and Bobby Hillen. Notable in that race, a career-ending actor for Bobby Wallwack. Race 2, Darrell Waltrip holds off Davey Allison, Dale Earnhardt, Terry Labonte, and Lake Speed. DW actually led every lap, the first Zuso in the qualifier since Fireball Roberts and Jack Smith did that in 1960. Notable things in that race, uh, Bill Elliott breaks his transmission at the start of the race. J.D. McDuffie is involved in the fiery crash. He had no gloves on because this got stolen before the race. He ends up getting burned in his hands. And there's also a 12-car pileup. A great sign for the rest of the week. This is a, a precursor of what we have today. True. Well, other, other than the J.D. McDuffie situation, that was just bizarre. Well, also, we actually had more cars in the race than just two that get bumped out. So. Yeah, that's true. But let's put charters in. Anyway, February 12th, <laughs> Goody's Dash Series. A photo finish with Larry Connell and Karen Schultz were the only two cars in the lead lap. Shauna Robinson, Fred Turner, and Bill Hennessy, your top five. Andy Belmont, notable in 12th. Also that day was the IROC race. Uh, only 11 cars failed as Roberto Guerrero missed the race with a broken foot in a practice wreck earlier in the week. Bill Elliott leads every lap to beat Dale Earnhardt, Terry Labonte, Al Unser Sr., and Jeff Bodine. Hold on. You said the Goodies race only had two cars in the lead lap? Apparently, yes. I, I don't even want to know how that was even possible. Um, I have, I'm going to try and find the box score now while we're talking about it. Because I want to confirm this. That's what it said in the thing. I have to go to the third turn here. But anyway, uh, while we're looking at up, uh, February 13th, the Goodies 300 NASCAR Bush Series race, also with plates, new at the Bush Series that time. Bobby Allison passes Daryl Waltrip going to turn three of a couple laps ago, then holds off Jeff Bodine to get the win. Waltrip, Mark Martin, Dale Jarrett are top five. Mike Alexander, your highest full-time regular in seventh. Late in the race, a hood flies off of Donnie Allison's car, and a racket goes into the stands. Seven fans were injured, but none seriously. Foreshadowing, Kyle Larson going to a catch fence like 20 years later. <laughs> or Jeff Bodine before that. True. Uh, so I'm finding the, the score. Yes, there are the only two cars in the lead lap. I don't know. Uh, that, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> anyway, um, so we get to Valentine's Day. Sunday, February 14th on CBS. Ken Squire, Ned Jarrett, and Chris Economaki in the booth. Mike Joy and Dave Despain in the pits. And David Hobbs, roving reporter. What a booth. What a combination. <laughs> Yeah, well, like definitely a, a, com a combination of just legends, really, and, a and David Hobbs just randomly roaming around. We'll hear from Hobbo later. Also, this is the raw satellite feed for this one, so there's no commercials. So we'll discuss some stuff that happens during the commercial breaks that isn't on the actual broadcast. See, see you may even watch this. You may hear, you may hear them say some random stuff. <laughs> yes, we'll get to that in a little bit. There's some green but not insane. It's not like if Junior was doing, oh my god, I couldn't imagine a Junior satellite be. Oh, there's Ben over there. They're uh, 
in the pre-race, there's an excited Chris Tomaki talking about the plates. Mike Joy shows us how the plates work with Jeff Hammond. Daryl Waltrip says, you have to drive the car harder and run the car loose. You don't have the power to pull it off the turns. Um, yes and no. <laughs> I, I'm thinking you're referring to more slingshot stuff, but... Well, like, that's what I say, like, back in the day, like, you really used a lot more horsepower just slingshot down the straightaway. I think he's referring to the fact, like, you have to drive a bit more aggressively because you're in the frontal a lot more with these restrictor plates. They're almost full frontal the whole time. Um, and that's what kind of led to, in the clash, Dale Earnhardt was having leg cramps uh, toward the end of the clash because he was, like, full frontal the whole time. So you kind of have to, like, not only work with other cars, but you have to, like, almost be full frontal and make more bold moves to make the uh, runs work. I think is what he's trying to get at, but... Mm-hmm. Let's the corner, though. I don't know about that. Yeah, and also, it, uh, I will say also the clash, unlike today, well, those are the Coliseum, but what has happened later with the clash, it was just a 20-lap sprint. What a concept. Bring that back. Um, pre-race stuff, you also have the Tim Richmond gets discussed in this. We talked all about it earlier. Um, Reverend Hal Martin appears to get the invocation. Let's go. Broadway Center, Harry Burnington's National Anthem, and Dolph Van Arks of R.J. Reynolds gives the command, which brings us to the starting lineup. On the pole at 193 miles an hour from Fenton, Missouri, Ken Schrader, alongside 26-year-old Davey Allison. In row two, the two-time winner, Bobby Allison and Darrell Waltrip. In row three, it's Rusty Wallace and defending Winston Cup champion Dale Earnhardt. For row four, New York's Greg Sachs and Texas' Terry Labonte. In row five, Bobby Hillen from Texas and from Mississippi, Lake Speed. In row six, Morgan Shepard and Sterling Marlin, number 44. Row seven is Rick Wilson out of Bartow, Florida, and Neil Bonnet still mending from a crash last year. Row eight, Jeff Bodine, the 86 champion, and Wisconsin's Alan Kowicki. In row nine, the 72 champion, A.J. Foyt, and the 80 winner, Buddy Baker. In row 10, Phil Parsons and the bandit, Harry Gant. Row 11 sees Kyle Petty and from Spanaway, Washington, Derek Cope. Row 12 is Eddie Bear Swale and Michael Waltrip, Daryl's little brother. Row 13, Phil Barkdahl and Rick Jeffrey from Kentucky. Row 14 is Ricky Rudd with Kenny Bernstein's team this year and Canadian Trevor Boyce. Row 15, Dave Marcus from Wisconsin and Connie Saylor. Row 16, defending champion Bill Elliott and the four-time winner, Kaylee Arborough. Row 17, Brad Teague and the seven-time winner, Richard Petty. Row 18, it's Steve Moore from Georgia and Dale Jarrett. Row 19, Jimmy Smut Means from Alabama and Mark Martin in the new Rouch Ford. Row 20 is Ralph Jones and Ed Pym. The provisional starters, Benny Parsons, 41st, and from New York, Brett Bodine. Jimmy Smut Means, huh? <laughs> what a nickname. That, that's, that's like a Johnny Gibson nickname if I ever heard one. <laughs> uh, some notes in this race. Michael Walter is replacing Jim Sauter, who made the race. Mikey's running full-time, so they basically get that card for him to run. Connie Saylor is racing in a car that Joe Rutman had practiced in earlier in the week, but he took over from Rutman. Uh, notables, Benny Parsons and Kale Yarbrough both have engine changes there before the race. They don't go to the back, though, which is what you see nowadays. 
uh, Parsons blew his in happy hour. Uh, Rusty Wallace, Dale, Dale, or Dale. Rusty Wallace, Davey Allison, and Ricky Rudd with onboard cameras as well in this race. Your DNQs, there's a lot. Joey Sante, Michael Waltrip as discussed. Ken Bouchard, Buddy Arrington, Blackie Wangren, Mickey Gibbs, Larry Moyer, Donnie Allison, Joe Bohr, Jocker Majacomo, Bobby Coyle, Tony Spano, Cyril Vandenberg, Mike Potter, Ronnie Sanders, Mark Stahl, Ken Reagan, Ernie Irvin, Jimmy Horton, John Linville, J.D. McDuffie, Mark Gibson, Del McCoward, Mike Porter, Dave Pelger Sr., Bobby Gerhardt, Bobby Wawak, and three drivers that were drew from the race, Rodney Kilms, Charlie Rudolph, and Darren Brassfield. Man, that's so good back in the day. So many cars missed the show. I can't wait till we do a Knoxville Nationals. It's like, here's everyone who missed the A-Main. 300 cars. <laughs> 300 cars. Name them all if in like five minutes. Good luck. Passed out after six, six yeah. heats. 16 cars. All right. Uh, Davey Allison can't get off the grid right away. He's half in the grass. Last night in practice, he hit the wall in turn two. He had to replace the entire right side frame damage as well. They worked throughout the night on it just to get it ready to go for the race. Yeah, it's like one of those deals, like because you know, like, late practices and like happy hours and all that stuff. And it probably, I don't know, if they had backup cars back then. That could be wrong, but um, but yeah, even like like a later on, like they had to tweak the car more as the race went on for uh, for Davey. Well, we mentioned David Hobbs Cap is a roving reporter, so let's see what Hobbs has to say as he finds some folks in the stands. Well, Ken, the Daytona 500 is a very special race, not just for the drivers, because this is the big one in the NASCAR circuit, but also for the fans. NASCAR does seem to breed a particularly loyal type of fan, and we've got one or two right here with us. Mr. and Mrs. Thomas from Huntsville, Alabama. Just how long have you been coming to the Daytona 500? This is my 35th year. 30 years on the track and five at the beach. You come from Huntsville, Alabama, so who are your favorites for this race? Well, I'd have to say that I'll be pulling for one of the Alabama gang. This race is going to be very, very competitive this year. Do you think one of the Alabama gang can win it, or do you think somebody else is really going to win this race? I think the Alabama gang, someone in the Alabama gang, has a good chance of winning. How much do these seats cost you, Mr. Thomas? These were relatively cheap seats at $40 each. However, it puts you down with the action, and I like them very much. Well, in the immortal words of Crocodile Dandy, that's a fan. Ken, back to the race. A couple of things. In the immortal words of Crocodile Dundee, that's a fan. <laughs> sure. Also, $40 seats, huh? <laughs> that's almost 90 in today's funds. I took a look. I, I couldn't find 500 stuff because that's already happened as we record this. But in terms of the Pepsi 400, yeah, you're not getting those seats for 40 or $90. You're getting way over in turns, turn off of turn four and off of any of the turn one in the new super stance. Yeah, pro if you're lucky. That you might get that for the bush or the truck race. I don't know. Uh, they probably check the prices up anyway. If you want to see Xfinity. <laughs> yeah, see Xfinity. See, um, see 50, 50 cars wrecked like in all those races. Austin Hill wins again. Anyways... Yeah. Let's get to the race itself. Here's the green flag. All right, they're out of turn four. Pace car is coming in from Ricky Rudd's vantage point. This is what the start of the Daytona 500 looks like. Right in there behind Phil Barkdahl's car. 42 competitors, 42 cars straining now, coming down at about 55, 60 miles an hour. And the green is unfurled. We're underway. A nice start. Coming up to speed for turn one. 
It'll be the back straightaway before they get them all the way wound up, and Schrader jumps out in front. But Davey, Al Davey Allison is able to stay with him right on the outside. Of course, he's getting help from Darrell Waltrip back there. When you can get two cars running together, their draft is very effective. Right there in turn two is where Allison touched the wall yesterday. But here comes Allison's first high-speed corner. With this carburetor plates, the cars really don't get up to speed until about three-quarters of a lap have gone by. Allison to the inside. Bobby Allison scooting down low on the racetrack by one, by two. Here's Allison going for first place to lead the first lap. The two-time champion out of turn number four. Allison pressing hard, and it will be at the line. The Allison's father and son leading the first lap of the Daytona 500. Chris Economaki going a nice start. The whole field hasn't crossed the line, Chris. Let's maybe hold off on that. <laughs> Bobby Allison goes inside of Davey Allison and in turns three. Kenny drops back. Uh, Bobby edges him out of the line, it looks like. Davey then takes it ahead. Darrell Walsh with a power move, and Rusty Wallace coming with him in turn three. Ken Squire then says, Dave Marcus could have a very good day today. Where? What? <laughs> Dave Marcus. Why, why are you talking about Dave Marcus? And I, that doesn't make any Why do you think he's going to have a good day? Like, you see something in the duels or something that... Man, think of that, or just... I guess. Who knows? There's an early five-car break as Walter takes the lead of Rusty, as mentioned earlier. Bobby Allison, Davey Allison, and Lake Speaker top five. Lake eventually gets by Davey and he, as he falls back a bit. During commercial, Rusty out of two of a train gets behind DW and takes the gets by DW and takes the lead on lap eleven. Walter falls to fifth. As they come back from break, Bobby Allison powers by on the outside as Rusty falls back to fourth. Dale in a stealth machine, the B1 bomber, he calls it, according to Ken. Now the Dodge boys are here. Oh, wait, that's the wrong uh, wrong year, wrong sports. <laughs> yes. Morgan Shepard and Ed Jeffrey both head to the garage around this point. Ken and Chris then said the tri-oval is the toughest part of the track. Right, you raced Daytona on iRacing in the 87s. Um, is, this, is this true? Um, to an extent, it can be because you're more full throttle. Um, now, granted, the 87 cars obviously don't have restrictor plates, but I have ran some other races with... Um, Bobby Allison holds off a side-by-side -side pack with Davey, or Davey and Lake Speed in the high side and Darrell Walter and Rusty Wallace down low. Then he gets single foul in the traffic. Davey takes lead a couple laps later down the backstretch by Darrell Walter, but by Darrell then comes and gets by both Allison and instantly down of four on lap 18. So Waltrip's leading out, and then this happens further back. Steve Moore just getting lapped, and there's a smoker in the back straightaway. That's the Roush car, that new Ford, number six. Mark Martin out of Arkansas, the driver for Jack Roush, and the engine is expiring in the early going. That could bring out the first caution of the day. Yellow is on the track. It comes out as we reach the 20th lap at lap 20. First caution of the day. 
The speed at the end of the first 10 laps was 189, and that compares to a 199 by Bill Elliott back in 1985. 189.076, the record 199 is Elliott's record of 85, and with that restrictor plate, that shows you that they brought him down 10 miles per hour. Exactly. You know, this, this yellow flag is a great break for Davy Allison to get that right front tire change, whatever's wrong. The Goodyear people tell me that at speed here, these 3,500-pound cars with the downforce created by the air, the right front of the corner weighs 8,700 pounds in the turn. That's a lot of weight. We'll be back with more in a moment. Poof. Mark Martin blows an engine out of turn two, and the first yellow of the day is out. Yeah, what we were noticing before Mark's engine went kaboom, just the uh, basically new, basically new team basically roused him at the <coughs> sorry at the time. Um, yeah, the engine was blew up out of turn two. Um, anyway, on the apron, that was the first yell. But what we're seeing in the racing was like there you can get runs if you work together with people. Um, and if, if you get single file and everyone starts brawling like two by two behind like they had earlier in the race, uh, you can really fly away from the rest of the field. Um, it, it's quite like what is it, – it's not like today where you could get single file, but they'll still catch you anyways. But single file back then, you were – almost laughing, but you can still work together and get big runs to pass cars. In the break, it's wall-to-wall pit stops. Greg Sachs stalls, needs to be pushed out, but ends up in the garage. Anyways, so his day's done. Going back to green lap 25, the flag man, I think is Harold Kinder, enjoying a nice dart in the grandstands. Make, 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 dart, make, make smoking green again. Make, make flag man just wear hats and goggles great again. Uh, the order is Rusty Walls, Lake Speed, Sterling Marlon, Neil Bonnet, and Terry Labonte. Also, driver to watch, Dave Marcus is super slow at the back. Yeah. <laughs> great. Drink that transmission, buddy. Great pick. Uh, Speed blows by on the apron in the lead with Marlon in second. Uh, Bodine moves up to fifth. At this point, Daryl Waltrip is the only car running down low, starting to battle him. So go to break. Sterling gets inside of Speed, take lead, going to turn one. Excuse me. On lap number 30. Besides the Dave Marcus fun, um, and of course I feel like that you can use the apron just blow by by cars. Like um, speed took advantage of that, but like I said, like because Bobby Allison was running the high line a lot. I don't know if he was just trying to get the, keep the momentum on that top setup. What I'm guessing, but you can make up more ground if you run the bottom side the whole time if your car handles well. Because sometimes I see drivers trying to run the bottom. But their cars look tight, but Walter seemed to be looked pretty good early on around that bottom. In the break, Walter moves to fifth as Baker and Bodine battle for sixth. Baker then soon falls back, and Dale works his way into the mix of Allison and DW battling inside for fourth. David Hobbs reappears. He's hanging out with a spotter in the old Unical 76 ball in turn three. Also bringing the Unical 76 ball back. <laughs> yeah, did you ever mention like back then, like they never mentioned the fuel brand when they, they pitch as fuel? Sorry, this is a pet peeve of mine. I'm sorry. They always say Sunoco Fuel today. They never said 76 back then. I would have to listen to the old MRN broadcast here if that's the case. Anyway. Uh, um, yeah. I feel like it's worse on MRN. Uh, Bonnet has held off Daryl Walter, but now Dale's in that mix in that fourth race battle. Walter gets by in a travel on the outside to fourth. Rick Wilson now has a possible flat tire as well, so keep an eye on that. DW and Dale then inside to get the, the inside to get third and fourth. Waltrip then uses the lap car bulls as a pick to get second. Speed is battling Dale for third, but holds him off. Kale Yarbrough then pits to a possible flat tire for hitting wall in turn two. And to discuss tires, let's head down to Dave Despain. 
We won't get a lot more, Ken, because the tire engineers have covered up that tire. We asked them, can we show the people of America, and they said... We've got a no. crash happening in turn four, David. Excuse me? One car looping out of control, spinning all the way around, and coming to is uh, Connie Sailor in the car that was originally to be driven by Joe Rutman. It looks like he caught a tire. I'm not sure. We'll have to look at the pictures, but it spins, and you can see the right rear is down, and, of course, he could have flat-spotted and more after he looped it up here in the fourth turn. Caution is out around the track. At exactly the 100-mile mark. Number four trying to get his lap back. back, and he did it. Car number four scooted to the inside, and Rick Wilson has just picked up a lap. He had gone down a lap, and as Sterling Marlin backed off, Wilson took the dare, went down to the inside, and puts himself back in the lead lap of this Daytona 500 under caution for the second time. Boo! I want to hear about a Goodyear conspiracy theory. But as that's happening, a car is in the wall in turn four. It's Connie Saylor. Wilson gets a lap back in the race to the line. In the replay, it looks like he just kind of lost it in three and four and then hit the wall. I don't know if it was a tire or what. It looked to me like it was a tire because I think the right rear was messed up on that car, I think, when he when he spun, if I recall. Um, so I think it was a flat, a cut tire and lost it and banged in the wall and... I almost thought for a second I was looking at that car like the front windshield was gone. But maybe I'm just blind or something or seeing something else. I have to go back and watch it now. Anyways, um, during the break, Conor opines that something must be in the track cutting all these tires. Well, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, as we go back to green, uh, Daryl Walter bleeds in his trader, Bonnet, Allison, and Trevor Boys. That can't be right. Turns out, yes, he's a lap down. Um, but... <laughs> Canadian. <laughs> Thanks, Jay. All right. Uh, so 29 cars in the lead lap as we go back to green on lap 46. Allison gets by Bonnet and then by himself is inside Schrader. On the next lap behind him, this happens. As we've said all week, Ned, this race, as much as on the racetrack, will be decided by those pit crews today. Those that can get in and get out quickly are going to be the ones up in front because it's better than 200 feet. We've got a crash in turn four again. A car spinning, slithering, slamming into the wall. And it looks like Kelly Arborough's car. Indeed, Kelly Arborough's machine has socked the wall. It spun a couple of times, then nailed it. And it's going to bring out the third caution of the day. Hale has had a very tough time here at Daytona this week. He, of course, uh, run, spun out in the 125-mile qualifying race, did some damage to the rear of his 88 Oldsmobile. They repaired it, got him back in there. Of course, he had the flat tire earlier, got back into the state in the lead lap, went back out and was near the pack, end of the pack, trouble now. Racing, racing back to the line. They have not come back and uh, taken that official caution flag as yet, and here they come to the strike. And at the line, it is Waltrip as Dave Marcus tried to make up a lap. That's right. You know, we talked earlier about the aerodynamic qualities of these new cars, these new downsized cars. They've been in the wind tunnel time and again to try and get them to work good out here on the racetrack. And it's been a problem for many of them. Kaylee Arborell being administered to by his crew. Get a chance to take a look at it again in a moment. Right now, we're going to pause for these messages and then back to review this third caution of the day. Kelly Yarborough out of it. Trouble in turn four, and it's Kelly Yarborough slamming the wall. The right front is demolished. Walter holds off Marcus in a race to the line. On the replay, uh, Yarborough spins out the back, overcorrects, and smacks the wall. His day is over on lap 49, because that right front looks awful. Yeah, I thought... I thought 
initially it was a cut, might have been another cut tax or he had the one earlier, so maybe it was it again. But yeah, he just overcorrected and that thing just pile drove the wall off four. To discuss the situation, here's KL with Dave Spain. Let's find out if it was the same situation as Thursday when the air came off the back of the car and set you spinning. What happened this time? Well, I blew a rear tire this time. I guess uh, I must have run over something on the racetrack from that wreck that uh, just happened down there. Turn, uh, tire blew coming off turn forward and just nothing to do about it. They're getting ready to make a movie of your life story. They're not going to start it with this episode, are they? Well, I certainly hope not. I hope they leave this week out. One more quick question. Uh, there's talk now about when you're actually going to hang it up. Does a week like you've had here at Daytona make you think, heck, I'm not going back down there anymore? Well, no, I've had them like this before, and we come back strong, and we'll be back strong again. Cale Yarborough, out of the race, blown tire. Good, your tire's bad? No. They don't. We don't have those today. Oh. Also, what's this about Kale Yarbrough movie plans? I looked. I couldn't find anything about it. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Unless it's just joking, maybe. Or it's one of those things where it's discussed but never done. Anyway, there, there might be something I looked at the news. That's, probably, that's probably what it is. Anyway, as for Kale, this would be his final season, as mentioned, his last 2500. Running part-time. He's been running part-time basically since 1980, his last full-time season. Uh, his best finishes that year were ninth at the June race in Michigan and the July race at Talladega. Back in the day, Dega ran in the summer. That's a scary thought. Bring that back. Anyway, we're getting set to resume. The order now is Allison, Bobby, Neil Bonnet, Harry Gant, Phil Parsons, and Bill Elliott, as Waltrip and Schrader have both pitted. Green again, lap 52. Bobby jumps way out in front, and Gant gets over a segment of help from the lap car with Trevor Boys. Trevor Boys gets all that prime coverage. A uh, single file 10 car train at this point includes Bodine, Earnhardt, Michael Walter, Russ Wells, and Terry Labonte starting to close. Dale works his way up to fifth and then gets fourth by Parsons. He raced with Neil side-by-side -side for third. Also there side-by-side with -side Parsons, Rusty, Elliott, and Terry Earnhardt eventually gives it. We then cut to Hobbs at a bonfire in the pits. The fans are drunk. There's some guy with an axe just cutting wood. Some guy's trying to go and shake Hobbs' hand. He's doing the, the thing. And then Hobbs says, we go back to the act. We have an incredible race for the lead. I'm like, is he drunk? <laughs> <There's> the, <laughs> what? <laughs> Is it just saying something they could get this kid like, to cancel to get that drunk guy off of him? Uh, great stuff. This is where I wish we had a video show so we could show you this drunk ass yeah. man. Uh, as we go into break, Lake Speed is smoking. He's slow on the apron and has left rear damage. Uh, I think he blew up something because Bobby Hill, I think, gets into him. Because you can see later, Bobby has uh, right front damage. His, car, his scheme is Miller High Life, exact same as Bobby Allison. Um, it turned out in the interview he blew the bottom man out of the engine. So went kaboom, and um, Hill had nowhere to go. I ran into him. Come back. Earnhardt, or Allison is lulzing, Bobby, that is, with Dale and Bonnet working their way up to second and third. Ken Squire says Michael Waltrip's owner, Chuck Ryder of Bahari Racing, gave Sauter anywhere between 30 grand to 50 grand to run his car. Shades of Shane Van Giesberg and sneaking into the Arca race in the last week. <laughs> yeah, except for the video, it was like 100 grand or something just to get in the Arca race and then get wrecked out anyway in lap three. Great stuff. I should uh, take a look and see exactly uh, if we're we are recording this uh, during the Atlanta Xfinity race. So I'm kind of curious what Van Gisbergen, as Judy would say, is doing. He's 10th, apparently. Uh, uh, it's late in the race, so we'll see what happens here. According to this, I'm on, I searched on Google, and it looks like it's over. I think you got a top 10. Huh. It says, well, we'll see. Haley Deacon just ran out of fuel. Out of, people are running out of fuel late, apparently. I'm going to ask our leaderboard. 
Wham. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll check back in with Shane later. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Jaws, Daryl that is, is working his way up from the back to six after pitting and then gets by Rusty for fifth. Dale's closing in a bit on Bobby as Waltrip gets fourth from Grant. All of a sudden, because of a four-car race for the lead, Earnhardt looks inside on Bobby and Neil is side-by-side with Daryl Waltrip for third. According to Chris O'Connor Mackey, the European reporters are shook about how close the racing is here compared to Formula One. Wait till the 88 F1 season gets. <laughs> yeah. Get yeah. ready for McLaren destruction. You kids know it now as Red Bull destruction, but an 88 of Cosmos and Senate is murder fest. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, Economaki in the break mentions he wants some scotch with his water. Mm-hmm-hmm-hmm. <laughs> also, during this, Walter gets stirs are going to break as Gant is raised for four with Neil. On lap 84 or so, Walter is inside Dale for second, which allows Allison to pull away, and Neil closes back in. Green flag pit stops began with Allison and Earnhardt pitting. Earnhardt beats him out. Rusty comes in. Jaws is in front with Neil Bonnet behind him. Bodine gets served with pits at the same time as Elliot does. Bonnet pits by himself, leaving Daryl Waltrip out there, and Neil's taking fuel only, 93 laps in, and apparently hasn't changed tires yet. I think he's running Hoosiers? He is on they never. I don't think they mentioned who's running what. Uh, I know. I could. I think I remember Neil Bonnet was on Hoosiers. Rick Wilson was on Hoosiers. Uh, Buddy Baker was on Hoosiers, if I recall. Um, that's all I, 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 I can't remember right now. I, my guess I know some guys sure. switch in and out during the course of the year, but that's another story for another day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Daryl Waldrop still leads after his pits up over four or five seconds. During the break, he had pitted, but almost ran it dry. Um, after that, rest top five is Earnhardt Bonnet and Rusty Wallace. Waltrip went about 25 miles more than everybody else, 47 laps in the tank. He went at lost 50 at least in the Twins. That included some cautions. That's just seems mind-blowing today. Like, you have, like, such separation. And, like, because granted, I think he, they were some different strategies when the first caution and whatnot. I think he pitted or one of those times. Um, but regardless, I mean, to go, to go that long and, like, to you know, just feel only – and like have a four to five second lead. Um, that's mind-boggling stuff today. Because you never would have that, ever. During the break, Ken Squire, who is fighting a cold at this point, is going to go off headset as we now get this segment on Dale Earnhardt. Who was your sports hero growing up? For many boys in the late 50s and early 60s, these men seemed bigger than life. But not so for young Dale Earnhardt. His sports heroes were racing drivers, men like Rex White, and Jim Pascal, but his favorite driver of them all was his dad, Ralph. My father was always uh, the best as far as I was concerned, and I was, uh, racing was exciting in his day, and uh, I grew up around it, and it just seemed to, that's all there ever was to his racing. Dale Earnhardt grew up in the town of Kannapolis, North Carolina. Bad trouble, bad trouble. Okay, a terrible crash. Richard Petty's car has turned over seven or eight times coming off turn four and was just struck by another car. It's one of the most violent accidents we've ever seen at the Daytona International Speedway here as leader Darrell Walton squeezes through. Petty's car nosed into the wall and then went sideways and barrel end over end and then side over side time after time. A terrible accident involving the man who has won this race seven times over the years. Alan Krowicki in car number seven was involved. His car is limping towards the pits and there is the damage number 43 STP Pontiac of Richard Petty out there on the track. It was really a, a happened at one of the highest speed sections on the track and we trust that Petty is 
okay in the car. Phil Barkdahl was involved in number 73, and we're trying to identify which other car. There's number 23, Eddie Beerschwal, Jeff Bodine in car number 15, and of course, Richard Petty, the man who has won 200 races in NASCAR events. 50-year-old grandfather from Randleman, North Carolina, is still in the car as a safety man, and the ambulance crews are out there now trying to minister to his needs. It was one of the worst accidents we've seen here in quite a while, Chris. As you can see, the damage to the back of the car. Now the safety people are there as the other cars weave their way through. This is Trevor Boys in car number 20. Eddie Beerswell. Eddie Beerswell in car number 23. He hit the, the wall very hard with the back of his car. And it looks as though Beerschwal uh, is, uh, is okay. They don't seem to be concerned themselves too much. Parts of Petty's Pontiac are all over the racetrack. It's going to take a long, long time to clean up this damage as they're running the cars through the pits now. The uh, Because of the debris, right, debris of all the, the debris. Racetrack. So the racetrack has moved down to Pit Road now from the track itself due to the debris that has come off of Petty's cars and crashed over and over and over after hitting the outside wall at high speed. Most of the drivers are, as they're coming down pit road, making pit stops as they normally do on caution flags. 107 laps complete. Let's take a look in replay at what has happened out of turn four. Richard Petty was running in a pack of cars and he starts the back end starts to go around and looks like tagged. it might have been tagged by, by the car number 73 of Phil Barkdahl and you can see Petty's car just framing and turning over up against the wall and other cars coming in. There's Barkdahl hitting him as he came by and the Eddie Beerswall car hitting one of the tires that came off the car from another angle. That looks like the crash at Darlington years ago, Ned. Fortunately, it was staying on the nose of the car for so long, Ken, so it was not didn't look like it was really taking hard bounces down onto the pavement. And it dispels some of the energy. You must remind the viewers that these cars are built to take these kind of crashes. And there's Phil Barkdahl hitting the cement wall right in front of us. The chromoly frames that serve as a roll cage up under the roof to keep the car from crushing down on the driver. Let's take a look from uh, Ricky Rudd's vantage point. You can see the trouble start in, in front of him there. Whether the 73 car hit number 43, the 73 being driven by Phil Barkdahl, or... Alan Kowicki was in the middle of it too in the car number seven. He landed uh, down on the grass on the inside and he's with Mike Joy. And this is Alan Kowicki's Xerox board. What happened out there? There was an accident in a trioval before we got there and uh, I knew there was an accident. We were slowing down and you know I thought it was clear I was through there. I went in between a couple cars and there was debris all over the place. And I ran over something, blew the right front tire out and the car swerved and ended up going into the wall. Who and what did you hit besides the wall? There's tire marks and paint all over. There's tire marks and paint all over that thing. Did you get into anybody else? I don't think I hit anything except the wall. You know, I was clear I was going to make it through. 
We ran over some debris and blew the right front tire off. But you're okay. Well, there you see the remains of car number 43, Richard Petty's brand new car being taken in the ambulance. We'll try to give you an update on his condition just as soon as possible. Here's where it began. Richard Petty, who first came here in 1959, and this, I believe, is the most serious crash he's ever had in this race. Peter Schwal's pushing in there. Yep. Or Barkdahl. That's Barkdahl's car Bark going uh, car. backwards there to car number 73. And Petty's car remains up against the wall, and you can see both tires fly off the car, and the other car's coming in now hitting the... That's what worries me, is that second crash. That was Brett Bodine with no place to go, and, and Brett making a solid hit on car number 43 spinning. Petty's car very high up in the air. However, the front was uh, still almost on the pavement. And you see both tires, front tires, fly off the car there almost simultaneously. J.J. Ford and uh, Rick Wilson came by, uh, made it through safely while the car was turning over. So even though, as, as you pointed out a few moments ago, Chris, they uh, reduced the speed, that does not make them that much safer. Uh, the car was way up in the air as well. It was surprising that it climbed that high in the air. See Kyle Petty coming down pit road. Dale Jarrett was right behind in that group of cars we see back there. Dale made a left turn down pit road and was able to avoid the trouble. Naturally, I had my eye on him. Notice the spectators moving away. They're the officer going back from the fence. And that's another reason that spectators, wherever they're at, if they're watching today and planning on going to a race, don't ever get down close to the fence on the racetrack. Stay as far away back as you can. There's Eddie Beerswell's car, and there are the remains of car number 43, Richard Petty. Car crew chief, Dale Inman. We'll try to give you an update on Richard Petty just as soon as possible. 108 laps complete. Well then, we get a smash cut to a wildly flipping Richard Petty as he's heading into tribal, then gets plowed by Brett Bodine. Bill Barkdahl and Eddie Bershwell are involved with Philly and Morrow Hadley accident happen here in a little bit. Then Al Quick is just driving slowly, losing oil, and hits the wall in the front stretch. Everybody's at the catch fence to see the wrecked car. Ken, Ken Squire reappears in the cars they're painting. On the replay, it looks like that Barkdahl is turned off of turn it turns him off of turn four. Petty but gotten loose. I'm not hundred percent sure. I couldn't really tell initially. And one thing about the raw footage was because most of the times you would see in the footage, you'll see him flipping. You never see, like, how he would actually, um... Got like, airborne? Uh, yeah, how he got airborne. And, like, it looked like he kind of was losing it. And according to Barkdahl, like, he might have got into it just a bit. And, like I said, the, the air come up underneath the car, and that's when he started barreling like crazy. And he also gets yeah. a little bit of help, because A.J. Foyt hits him in the front end, too. Yeah. Yeah, he got in the front end. I, was like, I never saw that footage before um, of him flipping like that. Um, and so that was kind of different perspective in my book of how that incident even happened. I mean, because I said from the flip onwards, which you've always seen, but not from the beginning part of it. Mm -hmm. so that was different for me. Uh, we also find out there is an Alan Kowicki is out here getting angry with Mike Joy there. Petty's in the ambulance. AJ Foyt also with damage. We come back from break. Everyone is hanging out outside the infield care center. The Spain finds AJ Foyt. 
uh, who says Richard is okay when he saw him. My note here is, why isn't this being red flagged with the fence damage? We'll, we'll get a bit of an explanation later. Because we get, like, 20 laps under caution. Yeah, like, the whole, with 20 laps under caution, and then I think, like, a couple times... <coughs> sorry. Um, a couple times, like, they people were pitting. I, I maybe they were hitting with debris or whatever, but yeah, like I, that was bogging my mind. So why did they not red flag it? Also, some guys carrying a fuel cell around. Ken informs us that Petty has a broken right ankle, was in stable condition, on his way to Halifax Medical Center, and everyone else is being checked on the field care center. No one else is hurt in the stands. The Spain finds Brett Bodine, so let's hear what he has to say, along with a host of others. Brett Bodine, you were among the cars that slammed into Richard Petty. Your view of what happened? Well, when I came off the fourth turn, it was just a junkyard out there, and uh, I tried to take the low line through the through the wreck. And just as I made a uh, commitment to go low, I cut a right rear tire down. The car started turning sideways, and Richard come off the wall, and I just I couldn't control the car and run into him. At that point, there was just junk all over the place down there. Yeah, it was just pieces laying everywhere, and just unfortunate that we ended up hitting him again. He'd already taken a bunch of licks before I got there, and you know we just we tried to miss everything, but uh, unfortunately we couldn't miss him when he come off the wall. Still a bit of a madhouse down here. Thank you, Brett. Bill Barkdaw also involved out there. Your second year, a tough luck down here at Daytona. First of all, you're okay. Well, I'm all right. I'm I'm sorry about the deal happened to Richard, but it, you know that's racing. But I'm just very sorry about that. What did you see? How did it happen? Well, I got, I don't know if I got tagged, I know Richard started turning, I tagged him in the back and it started, it started a situation where, you know, where he got in the wall, or got upside down and got in the wall, but it was, we were all bunched up there together and I don't know if he, if something happened to his car, but it, it, when he, he slowed or turned or something anyway, I, I hit him and I know I touched him in the back and started to, I don't know if I started, but helped the, the situation that was going on there. I looked at Mary and he's upside down and I was just, you know, I was worried about him more than I was worried about myself. You two were right together on Thursday when he got, when he got loose too. Is, is there something about the air on the back of his car? Did you notice any handling problem no, with I it? I don't think, I don't think that, uh, that's the deal. I just think it's a deal that we're, you know, we're all in that, in that corner together and, and if, if his car got loose, he'll probably have to tell you about that more than I can. I'm just sorry that it happened and, and I was involved in it and the other drivers too that were running good. We was running good and I know Richard was running good and it's just, just one of those bad deals in racing. I hope nobody got hurt in the stands. I know some stuff went up in there, but, you know, we're worried about that also. Word from there is that all the fans are okay, and we're going to go down pit road now to Mike Joy. Dave, we're back at the garage area with Eddie Beerswale's car. Buddy Parrott is the man with a hammer. He's the crew chief. As soon as he heard his driver was okay, he said from 500 feet away, this thing's not that bad. We can fix it and get back in the race. The damage is largely cosmetic. Let's take a look inside and see what protects these drivers from serious injury. In addition to the roll cage and the padding, new to NASCAR racing in the last couple of years is this metal seat. It's padded and vinyl covered, but even where it wraps around, this seat is designed to bend in case of an injury and impact. And if that seat gives, the driver's bone structure doesn't have to. Eddie walked away from this crash and he'll be back here to drive this car again if they can get it repaired. Here's David Hobbs. With me, I've got Alan Kowicki, who is always involved in that accident. You didn't actually tag one of the cars, you had a cut tire, right? That's right. The accident happened ahead of us. We were slowing down. I really thought I'd make it through. I went in between two cars, but I ran over some debris and blew the right front tire out, and the car just went into the wall. Well, all your crew have descended on the car like dervishes. Are you going to try and get back in the race? Yes, we are. It, the cars hurt fairly badly. It'll never be the same, but it's a, it's a long season, and if we can pick up any points at all, it'll help later on in the season. I see that changing suspension as well as sheet metal. I mean, how much have you got to do to the car? Well, it, it bent both of the A-frames for sure, and the, and the steering linkage and all that will have to be replaced. But we'll try to get it running, and uh, just too bad any time you wreck here. Uh, you know, the Xerox Amico 4 Thunderbird was running pretty good for us, and just too bad we got involved in that. Well, there's Alan Kowicki, rookie two years ago. Let's go back up to Ken upstairs. 
114 laps as they come by this time. They continue to work on the fences up here. About 20 feet of fence has been torn up by car number 53 as it went side over side along the fence. Let's go to Dave Despain. We have seen the damage to Eddie Beerschwell's car. The good news is there doesn't appear to be a whole lot of damage to Eddie Beerschwell. Yeah, Eddie, you okay? Oh, I'm okay, Dave. Yes, the car's tore up. You were right in the thick of it, apparently. Your, your, your view of what happened? Well, not really. I was. I wasn't really in the thick of it. I was behind the whole thing. I had the whole thing missed, and I run over a piece of debris and cut a tire down on the Wayne Page and Oldsmobile. And when it cut, the, it looked right rear. I was on the brakes hard. Left brakes grabbed, and I shot, you know, right down to Brett. Knocked Brett into Richard, and I hit Richard. So it's just a bad day for the Wayne Page and Olds. We had it really running good, and then we had a good week, though. Well, this may be good news for you. I hear they're down there working on your car. They may think this yellow is going to be long enough to get you back out there. You willing to go drive it a few more laps? We're ready. Okay, well, Eddie Beerschwell says, hey, I've still got some hours left in me today. He'll head back down to his pit to check on his car in what looks like it might be an extended yellow. A couple of things here. Why is Alan Kowicki being interviewed again? He talked to Mike John. Why are they talking to Hobbs? I'm guessing because they need to fill the airtime. That'd be my guess. Also, nice Honda racing team hat on Phil Barkdahl. Burswell yeah. with a nice Hoosier bandana and hat over top of it. And how did Buddy Parrott end up with Eddie Burswell's team? I don't know. I, I want to know what I think about that. Like um, at all. Couple other notes here. We get an old takes exposed moment from Chris Economaki. This crash will undoubtedly end the career of Richard Petty. Ned Jarrett basically says, please. Uh, Richard would still drive until 1992. <laughs> By the way, the race the race is over. Everybody ran out of gas, basically. Austin Hill wins again. Giesbergen gets third. Uh, just think, I gotta run that race tonight. Yes, uh -huh. yeah, yes. God help. God help me. Anyways, uh, we got some more interviews coming up with Dave Despain. So let's head back down to the pits. We're back at the hospital area with uh, finally an eyewitness account here regarding Richard Petty's condition. Cousin Dale Inman, you've been down this road a time or two before in this man's long career. How is he? Well, I talked to him before he, you know, just quickly stopped. And I said, how are you? I was still on the radio with him. He said, I'll talk to you when I get my breath. And uh, I, when they was putting him in the ambulance, I got there and rode in with him. And uh, he might have a broke ankle or sprained real bad. There was no compound fracture, nothing the doctor said. And they got a neck brace on him, but he's raised up and looked around with it, so I don't think his neck's hurt. And he's got just a little bitty scratch right there nothing doesn't take a stitch or nothing and uh he's alert he said he he, the, he got a little bit sideways and that ford behind him whoever he was he said a ford hit him and uh, then it just turned everything loose and uh but the worst thing about it and you know nothing in here hurt he, he told the doctors he said i'm okay all in here because he's had to talk to him before i guess but uh they got a splint on his leg right now and uh he might have a broke ankle i don't know but other than that he's okay and they're already speculating here, will this end Richard Petty's career? Obviously, it's too 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 soon to answer that question based on any conscious thought. But your reaction, he's been doing this a long time. He's done everything there is to do. Does your cousin still need to be out there driving these things? No, I mean, it's up to him. He says he enjoys it, but I'm sure he didn't enjoy that ride. So we'll just have to wait and see what happens from here. But uh, they're going to put him in the hospital. He said he, they might keep him overnight. So we'll just have to wait and see from there. But... Uh, uh, it was a bad one, but the car held up good, even though it come apart, and that's not bad because he's still, you know, talking, so uh, we'll just have to wait and see. Analytical viewpoint from the crew chief. Let's go down to Mike Joy. I'm with Richard Childress, the owner of the 1987 championship car driven by Dale Earnhardt. 
And as Dale Inman told the nation about Richard Petty's condition, Richard was relaying it to his driver. When Dale came around the racetrack after Richard had had his crash, you got a real urgent call on the radio. Tell us about it. Well, he wanted to know how Richard was. You know, he was real concerned. He said he looked like he took some hard licks, and he told me, let him know just as soon as I found out what his condition was. Did he have a view of it, or was it all well behind him? It, it was all happening on up in front of him, but he couldn't see what was happening. Now, it's a funny sport, auto racing. You guys run out and bang and bump into each other and race hard to win. But when something happens like this, the concern is, is genuine and it's shared by everybody. Yeah, I mean, you know, we all we all in competition on the racetrack, but we all, the whole uh, circuit is kind of like a family and each one of us is concerned about the other. And we also get some bonus Richard Childers content for you. Also, Rossi Wallace has been pitching a bunch of right rear damage. Apparently. I don't know where he got this. Uh, it had to be from the debris or something happened on pit road would be my other guess. Because there's probably so much debris from that wreck and the fact that everyone kept pitting under the caution, like, that, that's, the only th that's the only thing I could think of mm -hmm. at this point. Uh, we also get the situation to chat with Richard Petty's kids, and they're like, oh, sure, he'll race again. <laughs> <laughs> and Hobbs is uh, hanging out by the Richard Petty team hall, which he calls the Petty Compound. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? How is that a compound when it's a trailer? Uh, the Dale segment finally airs at this point during the long break. Uh, Economaki asks, anybody know what time we're off the air? Ken Squire, when it's over. <laughs> the flag man is enjoying more cigarettes. <laughs> okay, I'll admit, like, some parts of this, when I was watching, I kind of glanced over, you know what I mean? Like, that segment there with Dale and whatnot. But, like, really, Chris, like, what do you think this is? Like, this is live, man. It's going long no matter what. Again, we'll get to in a little bit why they, I don't think they red flagged it. But anyway. No, they, they did not. So nearly an hour later, we finally go back to being lap 28. Your top 10 is Phil Parsons, Harry Gant, Neil Bonnet, Jeff Bodine, Bill Elliott, Ricky Rudd, Sterling Marlin, Bobby Allison, Dale Earnhardt, and Davey Allison with Daryl Jarrett and Daryl Walter behind them. Gant looks inside Parsons at 3 and 4 and a restart with Neil also running up high. Meanwhile, Bobby Allison is up to 4. He's racing Bodine. Bonnet takes lead in 3 and 4. With Bobine behind him as we start lap 130. Back to full song. Out of turn number two. Now look at Earnhardt coming up inside Bill Elliott. Last year's winner of the Daytona 500, number nine, Elliott, being challenged by Earnhardt. But as he came off of the turn, Elliott had the momentum, but We've now Waltrip has the momentum. Trouble in turn two. Spoke up in turn number two, and I think we have a problem out there on Derek Cope's car. See him spinning back up on the racetrack. He has it riding now and headed in the right direction. Caution's out. Caution is out once again. Racing to the line. At the strike. Bonnet in the front running position. Jeff Bodine in second. Bobby Allison in third. Nose bent up on Derek Cope's car. I'm not sure if that was from an earlier altercation or just then. Uh, Ricky Rudd said the track was slippery and that looked like a case of uh, one driver just not getting the traction he needed to keep his car headed in the right direction. Derek Cope loops it in turn two, bringing out the fifth caution today. That front end looks great. It's like half up in the air. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what caused this. Apparently, he may have tangled with Rick Jeffrey, but uh, we never get footage of it. Yeah, we didn't get footage of it, so... I, I probably tangled that probably maybe got the apron and raised the front end of in that car, but he, he won't be a factor in a couple of years anyway. He's just some journeyman. Stay tuned till September. Anyway, <laughs> um, we then find out, I think, why this race wasn't red flagged. 
The Boston Celtics played the LA Lakers on CBS after the race. And what may be a preview of the NBA final, according to Ken. Eh, not quite. But it's a rematch of 87, so obviously it's a pretty big deal with the Celtics preferred the Showtime Lakers. Yeah, but... Uh, Brett, this is the 80s. Not, NBA games aren't on the regular on TV. Yeah, you're right. I, I had to think, I had to stop for a minute on that one. It's not, it's not today, where you can put it on, like, TNT. Anyways, yeah. we go back to Green. Bonnet, Bodine, Allison, Earnhardt, Gant... Elliot, Davey Allison, Parsons, Roy, and Marlon in the top 10 lap 34. Bobby and Dale work their way by Bodine right away. Then lap 138, Allison moves instantly going to one with Dale coming with him, and business picks up. Bobby Allison in first, and here comes Earnhardt, struggling on the inside, going for the lead. Here they are, coming down out of the corner. It is Earnhardt going for first place, beginning to show the muscle of car number three. It is a Chevrolet against a Buick. Here they come to the line. Crowd is on its feet, cheering at the strike. They're going to make it pretty wide. Down to the inside. Here comes Bonnet. Three deep, going to turn number one. Neil Bonnet, bottom of the race track corner. Earnhardt right in the middle stuffs it in there. If you don't believe Neil Bonnet will mix it up with you, just give it the opportunity. He seized it. Here he comes. Back straight away. Bonnet wants first place from his old hunting pal. Neil laughs a lot. He says the only thing that he has not hit me with is the stuff we carry around when we're hunting. Let's see if they mix it up here. Bonnet on the inside and his boon companion in the offseason, Earnhardt, on the outside. Wheel to wheel at 190 miles an hour. You can't get it much better than this. Here's Waltrip moving. Oh, they touch for a moment. They just nipped each other. Bonnet looking over at Earnhardt and saying, no way. Am I going to let you take this without a fight? Back they go, and look at this tremendous assault. Earnhardt springs up the inside into the lead. That's a side-by-side -side running, slows them down. It's amazing. Bonnet saw an opportunity. To, he grabbed it and took it and walked to play back and let them slow down and then whipped by them to the lead. That's right. They snapped the whip, and Earnhardt, or rather, uh, Waltrip here was on the end of it, and it thrust him into the lead. Harold Waltrip has the fastest car here today. He, he came from back in 17th position after this restart, worked his way up, as Chris pointed out, on the inside of the racetrack, staying right down on the bottom. He's going to be tough, folks. Some great stuff here. Dale goes inside and turn three for the lead. They're side by side. Then Neil makes it three wide going to one. He and Dale are side by side. He almost hit in turn four. Dead even for the lead. Then Waltrip out of nowhere. That's not Dale, Ken. He blows by in the lead on lap 143 with Baker and Dale behind him. Great stuff. Yeah, it was pretty much like I said. You get the free wide situation. You get two by two. You can't really go anywhere. But if you get the run, you can make free wide, wide work. And then like, Waltrip just blew the doors off of um, Earnhardt and, um, and Allison or, or bought one of those two, I can't remember what, for the lead. Like, he just blew the doors off of him and took the lead back. But I was a little surprised that Buddy Baker showed up. That's, I was like, wait, Buddy Baker? Well, I think he's he meant, they think he's a lap down, but it turns out he's not. Uh, uh, the, joys, the joys of scoring back in the day. Uh, Five-card trade at this point with Walter Baker, Earnhardt, Bond, and Bobby Allison becomes a nine-card trade. With Bodine, Davey Allison, Terry Bonnie, and Bill Elliott. During a break, Neil's in the third by Dale, and then Bobby falls, but he almost throws it away as he is dead sideways, but saves it in the middle of one and two. Yeah, and also, and also um, Earnhardt on Baker going to wreck each other off of 4 2. Yeah, we're going to get that in a little bit. Oh, yeah, sorry. Um, a couple laps ahead on that one. Uh, so Dale gets third, Davey Allison falls. Bobby works his way back and forth a couple of days later. 
Dale then, last layer I should say, Dale then looks inside of Baker out of four, who sides slightly down, trying to avoid a wall and makes contact of Earnhardt. Uh, Bobby, with a power move, makes it four wide, the slow car of Eddie Burswell, and he moves his way up into the back into the fray, and he gets by Daryl Walter in the back stretch, takes the lead on lap 155. So Bobby's car is good. Yeah, everyone was saying that Bobby was like the like the odds-on favorite to win. The odds-on favorite like to win because his car was very very strong um, for most of the speed weeks. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, like. But as they, when he gets, he gets ahead, he's real strong. But it's kind of when he, he gets behind, and it's a bit of a brawl. And the ball obviously, um, you know, go four wide and blow him by for a second. He was in the lap car, and um, it's amazing that you can go below the L, below the below the yellow line on the apron. You can actually make it work. You have room. What a concept! I know, right? So. Waltrip then moves off of four inside to get lead back on 158. Bobby gets by him again. Lap 159, we go to commercial break. Davies on the outside line during commercial gets by Walter for second. Pit stops start coming around lap 162 with Bobby pitting. That puts Davies in the lead. He side by side of Jaws for a little bit as Earnhardt, Bodine, and Bill Elliott pits and Benny Parsons puts his car behind the wall. Davies pits lap 164 to put Waltrip in front. As we turn from another break, Waltrip is lolzing for another long run on the green. Shades of 1989, perhaps. More than another time. Uh, we're talking about Dale Jarrett has moved his way up. It was up to fifth when he was pitting. Ken, as he showed a photo of him, he looks a bit like his dad. You ever have a mustache, Ned? Ned, no. Marfa, which is Ned's wife, wouldn't let me. Ned Jarrett with a mustache. I can't even imagine. No. I, that, now, that's going to be creepy vibes, man. Uh, Hobbs then is back. He's in front of the catch fence. And there's some fans who are not as drunk as the guys with the axe in the pits. Or in the, <laughs> in the uh, infield, I should say. Yeah, and you're showing their pair of like, the back of the day, you know, people can just go right down to the catch fence. That's probably, like, they do it all the time. Um, Waltrip then finally pits. He's away of a 36 second league at that point. And as that is happening, he's leaving the pits. Crash in the corner. It is, it is Harry Gann's car that is wrecked just after Waltrip made that pit stop in turn two. An 11 second pit stop by Darrell Waltrip. Very good. It sure looks like he cut a tire down or got hit by someone. Never see him lose. He's still firing it up and trying to get it out of there. Harry Gantz, number 33, crashing on lap 176 of 200 in the Daytona 500. Now we might see the leading drivers come back in the pits and get tires. And as Bobby Allison likes to put it, rebuild the car for the drive to the checker. There'll be no rebuilding the Hal Needham car, the Burt Reynolds Hal Needham number 33, savaged in turn number two in the sixth caution of the day here in the Daytona 500. There is some of the debris on the speedway. You run over that, you're going to be in tire trouble. He certainly will, and most of them will come in, I think, can and take on four tires. In fact, Darrell Waltrip is coming back into the pits right now. So this is the break they were all looking for. It is the misfortune of Harry Gant that may cast an entirely new look on the finish of the Daytona 500 this year. We may finally have that three-car assault across the line to decide the 500, similar to what we saw in 1959. But in that year, one car, Joe Weatherly, was a lap down when Lee Petty and Johnny Beauchamp rushed to the line, and they took three days to decide who finally won that race in a photo finish, back when photo finishes aren't quite what they are today. Well, Davey Allison just won the race out of the pits. He beat Darrell Waltrip. Darrell going down pit, pit road, following. And Waltrip and, and Allison and uh, Davey Allison each got four tires. 
So they're ready to go now with fresh tires, and the cars are all hepped up for the drive to the checker. Replay on Harry Gant as he struggles crab-like to get back on pit road, nailing the wall, solidly front end, back end, after such a brilliant run today. You know, the knock has been on Gant because they didn't win last year, but he won three grand national races. You just have to feel so badly for these drivers that try so hard, and then this kind of thing happens when you can almost sense that the finish is in the air and you'll have a good day. Yeah, it's really too bad. Harry Gant just absolutely demolishes the car to turn two. And now he's just driving, trying to drive it away. They're stuck all over the damn track on lap 178. Well, I don't know what caused the, what caused the wreck for Gant, but that thing was utterly annihilated. And he's trying to limp this thing around like Harry. Just parked the thing on the grass or something. Like, like it's destroyed me, but... It, he was having a real good data because he didn't have a good season 87 you know he's trying to bounce back but that he was good early but then that happened it was like well back to reality from last year i guess uh during that time everybody comes into the pits and davy allison beats their walter about chris economy making the break boy this is going to be interesting no shit chris anyways <laughs> let's check in now with ken squire Let's go to the L.A. Forum standing by as they prepare for that big NBA game between the Lakers and the Celtics. Here's Dick Stockton. Welcome to the Forum in Inglewood, California, and we have a celebrity-packed crowd and a playoff atmosphere, to say the least, as the Los Angeles Lakers and the Boston Celtics, who are perennials and going for the NBA title, are getting set to play the second of their two-game season series. The Lakers won the first game of their battle, in Boston Garden, and now the Celtics are on a mission to get even. In that earlier game on December 11th, Pat Riley's Lakers had the fast break working early as Magic Johnson gets one of his 17 assists. Larry Bird scored a game-high 35 points as Boston led by two at the half. In the second half, LA's running game kept it close. Byron Scott from Magic, but Boston maintained a six-point lead after three periods with the familiar long pass such as this to Robert Parrish. Then following a missed Boston free throw, Magic Johnson hits this game winner, an incredible shot at the buzzer, giving the Lakers a 115 to 114 victory as they danced off the court in Boston Garden. And so that's the mission for the Celtics to get even and the Billy Cunningham, uh, not much needs to be said whenever the Lakers and Celtics battle. No, they, no, not at all because these two teams play for championships and this game will allow the two coaches to evaluate where their team stands and gauge what they have to do to get into the championships. Now, going into this game, there seems to be a key as far as the tempo, basically, for both clubs. Oh, absolutely. We know that the Celtics want to control the tempo, make it a half-court game, whereas the Lakers today will be pushing the basketball every opportunity. These are the teams with the two best records in the NBA, and every time that these teams have played here the last two years, the winner has gone on and won the title. We'll be back with the game. Right now, let's go back to Ken Squire at Daytona. Ken? You knew I was going to work in a Dick Stockton cameo into the show if you listen to it long enough, kids. As for the NBA game itself, Lakers would win that one, 115-106 to 106 over the Celtics in L.A. Byron Scott with 38 points for the Lakers, Larry Bird with 25 for the Celtics. Larry Bird! As <laughs> Gus Johnson would say. Thank you, Gus. We're going back to green lap 183 or 200. Your order. Phil Parsons, Davey Allison, Daryl Walter, I'm guessing Parsons stayed out. Uh, Bobby Allison, Buddy Baker, Dale Earnhardt, Terry Labonte, Ken Strader, Sterling Marlin, and Rusty Walsh are top 10. 11 through 17, your cars are sonally lap. Jeff Bodine, Neil Bonnet, Bill Elliott, Ricky Rudd, Dale Jarrett, 
Bobby Hillen and Rick Wilson as we go back to green with 18 laps to go. Here they are on the break, coming to the line. On the break, Phil Parsons steady into turn one. Davy Allison there, Waldrop in third. I would think Waldrop's confidence level is very, very high. So it's right down Here the bottom Allison. of the track. Set of tires, building up with gasoline, and here comes Bobby Allison, two of the fastest cars we've seen during speed weeks here. Allison gonna make a move for it. The winner of the 125-mile qualifiers, Allison and Waltrip go for it. That's gonna be a psychological blow to Waltrip. We'll see. Here he is on the outside trying to take some room back. Davy Allison gets into it. Three cars for the Lowell. Where Davy Allison is, he's helping down. Yeah, he's on the bottom. When he moves up there, that helps Darrell a little bit, but maybe Davy's car won't work down low, but Bobby's doing okay on his own. Bobby Allison goes out in front, still even. And there's the view from Davy Allison of this battle for the Daytona 500. Now he's down giving Dad a boost. <laughs> and Dad takes advantage of it. Gets out in front by about four feet. Waltrip comes back. But no, these two cars in the bottom of the track look like they're going to go home. Well, Davey's the key right here as to who's going to lead this race. As and to who he gets behind. By staying behind his father, he pulls up. He goes to second. Dad goes out in front. Waltrip falls to third. And Darrell Waltrip needs to get that new daughter, Jessica, out here in the car right off. So long, Daddy. Look at Bobby go. Bobby Allison's wife, Judy, looking on here, pretty excited. Trouble on pit road, Earnhardt is in. Dale Earnhardt in number three. Pulls on pit road, something amiss there. Apparently a tire went down on the car. So once again, the effort by Earnhardt to turn it around and win this race will come up short. Had so many late race troubles here at Daytona, it's unbelievable. Never having taken the 500. An excellent pit stop, Ken. Less than 12 seconds for the Richard Childress crew to change that tire. He'll stay in the lead left. Walter with Bobby Allison goes inside as Davey, Davey Allison and Phil Parsons out of turn two. Walter has it, but part, Allison, Bobby that is, makes it three wide. They're side by side for the lead. Davey swapping lanes behind him gives the shove to Bobby, who goes, they go one, two down the back stretch into turn three with 17 to go. And bonus pain for yours truly. I'm not born for another couple weeks, but pain regardless, because Dale Earnhardt has pitted with a flat tire. Well, and the thing that I got lost, I got lost the fact that Walsh plummeted for the field when he lost the lead. Yes, he ends up dropping the six at one point, and then we'll get to what happens to him later on. But he ends up falling to six and all this as Baker, Parsons, and Terry Labonte all go by. And yeah, besides the besides Walsh plummeting backwards and obvious pain for, for Dale Earnhardt again in the 500. Um, so I Bobby gets to the lead, and then it basically turns turn to an Allison one too. But I said that whole thing of Walter fly back just absolutely like, confused. I was like, where did he go after that pass? The caution then comes out again at 13 to go for debris, which keeps my boy Earnhardt on the lead lap. We actually see it, some big metal on the track off of turn four, and the guy just falls back into the truck and it's like a bad front flip as he hops back into the tailgate. <laughs> yeah, at least at least they always showed debris. What a concept. No. Good production. Yeah. Fox could learn. Okay, Fox is actually pretty decent, I thought, this year in the 500 compared to previous yeah. years where it was woof. But anyway. Yeah. Um, 
So, also, we also get Ricky Rudd pitting. Another Stockton update from the game, which is underway in LA, but that appears to be lost of time and space on YouTube. And also, it turns out, no broken bones for Richard Petty. So, restart with 10 to go. Bobby Allison, Davey Allison, Buddy Baker, Phil Parsons, Terry Labonte are top five. Dennis Neil Bond is already up to six. Ken Schrader, Sterling Marlin, Rusty Wallace, and Daryl Waldrop. Earnhardt restarts in 15. As they're coming to green, Bobby, everyone's warming up the tires and whatnot, almost gets into Kyle Petty as they're exiting out of turn four. Good start. Good start. It gets single file pretty quick. Baker gets a run down to Baxter. It takes second out of turn four with nine to go. Baker then looks inside heading a turn, which allows Davey to get to the outside of eight to go, and Baker just gets freight trained to the back. Well, basically, they were trying to like. <clears throat> it was like, you know, today, like, everyone's trying to wait till, till the end to make their move. So, like, Baker went for the lead, but it was, I guess, basically too early, and no one went with him. So, I mean, you wouldn't see Davey going with Baker, I wouldn't think. But, you know, but basically, it was just. He tried for it, but no one went with him, so he was basically the big loser on that one. With seven to go, Phil Parsons peeks inside out of turn two, but has nothing there. With five to go, Baker slaps the wall out of the tribal, racing with Bobby Hill for position. It remains a freight train as we're coming to the white flag. Out of turn number four, here's Bobby Allison, the two-time champion. What must be going through his mind right now? Here's the white silk from Harold Kinder. Last lap, Parsons lies third. Texas Terry Labonte is in fourth. Neil Bonnet, the third member of that Alabama gang, back in fifth. And those two leaders draw away a bit. Davey Allison coming after his father. Looks down inside as they take it high in turn number two. Back straight away, final time to decide it all here this afternoon. Now, Davey, what are you going to do? He's got less than half a lap to do. And they have enough lead, and I believe this is going to be a battle between the father and son. I don't think anybody Davey. else can try it, but here he comes. He's going to do the it. bottom. He's down low. Bobby Allison high. Davey Allison find the inside move Bobby Allison holds him off they come to the strike and the winner of the 30th annual great American race Bobby Allison Davey Allison his son in second Judy Allison ecstatic what a tremendous family performance look at him David Bobby waving to Davey <laughs> Did you hear Davey saying, I made a try for him at turn four, but he was too strong. Well, those fans of David Hobbs interviewed at the first of the race said, I think it'll be the Alabama gang. Here they are. The Alabama gang has conquered the Daytona 500 in its 30th running. Davey waits until turns three and four. He looks slow, but nothing doing as Bobby Allison beats him out for the win and waves at his son as they joined Lee Petty and Richard Petty as the only father and son combination to finish in the top two in a Cup Series race. At that point, that was it. Was also Bobby's third Daytona 500. He was he was too strong. I said, Davey, he said they tried the bottom, and he got kind of close, but um, couldn't really do anything with Bobby. He was just too strong once he got to the front. And Bobby's third Daytona 500 was just this, pretty much a very significant moment in basically NASCAR's history. Mm -hmm. Mike Joy says in commercial, "We're going to drop the internet and be right in Bobby's face." You'll hear that interview as our final clip of the show. It's basically the last thing for his cut to the NBA game. Mike Helton, also noticeable cameo in Victory Lane, if you look close enough. So your finishing order. Bobby Allison wins Daytona 500, 70 laps led, one more than Daryl Waltrip. His third win, as mentioned, 78 and 82 of his previous wins, joining four-time winner Cale Yarborough and Richard Petty Ocena as the most at that point. He has since been joined the three-win club by Dale Jarrett, Jeff Gordon, and Denny Hamlin. 
his 84th and finals NASCAR Cup Series win. Some would say his 85, of course. And also, at 50 years of age, he's the oldest winner in the 500. The rest of the order, top 10. Davey Allison, second. Phil Parsons, third. Neil Bonin, a photo finish over Terry Labonte for fourth. Ken Trader, sixth. Rusty Wallace, seventh. Sterling Marlin, eighth. Buddy Baker, ninth. And Dale Earnhardt in tenth. Eleven was Darrell Waltrip, who had motor slash ignition issues at the end, which caused him to fade the bet. Bill Elliott was 12th, Bobby Hill in 13th, Jeff Bodine 14th, Rick Wilson 15th, Dale Jarrett 16th, Ricky Rhodes 17th. He's the last car on the lead lap. Uh, Kyle Petty, a one lap down in 18th. In the interview with the Orlando Sentinel, he blames his dad's crash on restricted plate, says the worst thing that ever happened in this sport. And then this quote. You get a bunch of these guys who don't know how to drive race cars. They just have a bunch of money and they'd be better off in the infield drinking beer and watching TV. But they, NASCAR, put them on the racetrack and they run over guys who are trying to make a living. You can't get out of the way if you don't have horsepower. You know the cars don't have enough power to pull a grease string out of a pig's butt. Wow. <laughs> wow. Kyle Petty, hero. Trevor Boys, 19th. Dave Marcus, 20th. Brad Teague, 21st. Michael Walter, 22nd. Steve Moore, 23rd. 24th, Ed Pam, 25th. Jimmy Smut Means. I'm just going to call him Smut Means every time now he's on the show. Ralph Jones, 26th. Derek Cope, 27th. Eddie Burswell, 28th. Uh, Harry Gant ended up 29th out of the race. Rick Jeffrey, 30th. Benny Parsons, blown engine, 31st. Alan Kowicki, 52 laps down, the last car remaining running in the race. Got to go to those final wins and points. <laughs> Damn right, of course. Uh, rest of the field, uh, from 33rd to 42nd, that did not finish the race. A.J. Foyt, Richard Petty, Brett Bodine, Phil Barkdahl, Lake Speed, Kale Yarborough, Connie Staler, Greg Sachs, Mark Martin, and Morgan Shepard. Seven cautions for 42 laps. There's four in last year's race, eight in 1986. 26 lead changes among 12 drivers, the fifth most that season, trailing the two races at Charlotte, Coke 600 with 43, 36 in the fall race at Charlotte, 33 at the Atlanta season finale, and the Dega summer race had 30. The 26 lead changes won off the previous year. Uh, the average speed, 137.531 miles per hour, the third slowest at the time, uh, be still behind the, which is behind the 124.74 miles per hour speed in 1960, still a record for the slowest 500, I believe, and 1959, 135.522. Uh, it's now, I think, I have to double check. I don't know what the speed was for this year's 500. I'm gonna check that quick. I'm pretty sure it was still in the top 10. Things have been a little bit different now because of more wreck fasts and that kind of thing, but. This year's 500? Yeah, I'm just looking it up right now. So this year's 500, the average speed was, drum roll please, 157.178 miles per hour, which is much quicker than recent cup races at Daytona. So. Yeah, it was, um, it was, well, sorry, I'm sorry about today. Like, it wasn't like the crazy wreck fest that we had. Races in the yeah. in the races since then have been slower than this one. 2011, 2002, 09, 03. Granted, 03 and 09 were both rain shortened. 05, which we discussed previously on the show. 2010, 2019 are the ones that have been slower than this one. Yeah. Anywho, um, back to I guess the rest of the season a little bit. But anything you want to mention first off the running order and that kind of thing that we discussed. Not really. I think Kyle Petty was having engine issue earlier in the race because they were on board I think it was a Ricky Rod and they just blew his doors off and he, they mentioned that his engine might have been running on seven cylinders hard to say but that's what I think was, was happening to uh, Kyle Petty in that race mm -hmm. besides him besides him absolutely unloading in the pro race 
chat, but yeah, not much else. What a quote. Anyway, so, <clears throat> excuse me, the rest of the season for 1988. At Richmond, Neil Bonnet wins, the first win for Hoosier. Also the last race at the old half-mile oval, which was replaced by the three-quarter mile LD run today. Other notes in this race, Bonnet actually went a lap down in pit row, but it was not caught. Uh, and Ricky Rudd probably should have won the race. Ah, the good old days of hand scoring. Oh, God. Uh, Richard Petty, not retiring uh, Chris Economac. He ends up third, which is his last top five. And Schrader, DNQs for Hendrick at the end of pull for the 500 and has to run Buddy Arrington's car in the race. You know the days, you know, when you didn't have a charter and you actually had to make the show on speed? Good times. Uh, then we go to Calder Park in Australia. For the first NASCAR sanctioned race outside of North America, non-points event, Bonnet wins that one over Bobby Allison. Then at Rockingham, Bonnet wins again as his last career win and the last for the Raymock Racing Team. Atlantic goes to Dale Earnhardt. Darlington is Lake Speed for his first and only Cup Series win. At Bristol, Bill Elliott wins a wild race over Mark Martin and Jeff Bodine. North Wilkesboro, Terry Labonte passed Dale Earnhardt late for the win there. At Martinsville, Dale Earnhardt wins there. Then at Talladega, Phil Parsons gets his first and only career win. Bobby Allison ends up second his last top five. A.J. Foyt has a time in this race. According to Wikipedia, he intentionally wrecked Alan Kowicki, spun out on pit road out of anger, then drove through several pit stalls during pass-through penalties, nearly hurting many crew members. For his actions, Foyt was issued a six-month ban from NASCAR, which was later reduced to two months following an appeal. What? <laughs> Do we need to review the 1988 Talladega Spring Race? Maybe. I don't know if that footage is under. I've never watched it, so. I, I don't know. The Winston Open, don't mind my squeaky chair, by the way, kids. Uh, Sterling Erling Marlon wins out over Alan Quigley. Marlon comes from last to second into Winston, which is won by Terry Labonte. Then the Coke 600, Daryl Waltrip wins in a tire blowout festival. Everybody's running Hoosiers because of Goodyear bringing two wide, of Goodyear withdrawing from the race, uh, sans Dave Marcus. A lot of injuries happen. Harry Gant has a broken leg, you know, Bonnet ribs, Rick Wilson shoulder blade. Uh, a big crash in the race results in a blood clot on Buddy Baker's brain, which forced him to retire a little bit later in the season. And Bud Moore gets a broken leg in the pits getting hit by a car. Also, Dale gets a five-lap penalty for getting into Jeff Bodine as their rivalry and beef carry over from the day before in a bush race. Yeah, that whole... <clears throat> Sorry, that whole Charlotte deal, it first started like with the fact that both Hoosier and Goodyear brought bad tires. And I think... Goodyear left, um, but then right at the last minute, they managed to bring some tires back, but I think only Dave Marcus went back to the Goodyears. I might be off on this, but that's why they were a much better tire, um, but still, it was it was an utter disaster. Uh, at Dover, Bill Elliott wins over Morgan Shepard, who's replacing Harry Gant. Bobby Allison wins his 10th, his last career top Sorry. 10. At Riverside, Rusty Wallace wins in the final major race at that facility at close in 1989. Jeff Bodine wins at Pocono with a big story as Bobby Allison suffering career-ending injuries. Uh, nearly fatal accident on lap one race. He has a tire going down. He crashes in trial and gets T-boned by Giacomo Giacomo. Allison's career is basically done at that point. Mike Alexander will take over that car for the rest of the year. Yeah, that was definitely a frightening crash for, for Bobby Um yeah, instead, unfortunately, it was a career ender for him, unfortunately. So, continuing on with the season, at Michigan, Rusty Wallace gets the win there. It has for 100 Daytona. Bill Elliott wins the photo finish over Rick Wilson. Bill Elliott wins the Pocono. No Goodyear at the event. The first time Goodyear had no cars in the race since, or no tires for cars in the race since 1965-7500. Reason, too wide a tire. Remember that later on. 
two-way tire deal. Uh, at Talladega, sorry, at Talladega, a wild finish. Ken Schrader gets his first career win. Baker is 10th. That's his last top 10th last so he's due to the blood clot issue. At Watkins Glen, Ricky Rudd holds off Rusty Wallace. Also, no Hoosier tires due to the same issues that happened to Goodyear at Pocono. Hmm. Yeah, and if I recall, in that race, everyone had to pit like every certain number of laps because the Goodyears were bad, a la Indy 07. I was going to say, this sounds very familiar. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Following Watkins Glen, they go to Michigan. Dave Allison gets the win there and the final start for his uncle Donnie, who finished 35th with engine issues. Dale Earnhardt wins the Bristol Night Race the day before. Rusty Wallace flipped wildly down the front stretch. He's knocked unconscious. He ends up starting the race, and Larry Pearson, who finishes for him, ends up in ninth place. Bill Elliott wins the Southern 500. Davey Allison returns victory lane in Richmond, the first race on a new layout there. Dover goes to Bill Elliott. Daryl Waltrip wins Martinsville. Rusty Wallace then goes on a heater, winning Charlotte, North Wilkesboro, and Rockingham. At Phoenix, Alan Kowicki gets his first career cup win at the first race at Phoenix and is a Polish victory lap to celebrate. Then, at Atlanta, Rusty, who's been closing in late in the season, wins the race, leads the most laps, does what he has to do, but Bill Elliott ends up finishing an 11th to win the championship, needing to finish 18th or better. He's your champion for the only time in his career by 24 points over Rusty. This is starting to become a familiar thing for Rusty Wallace later on in the year. Like he'd go on a heater, and then, but still not be able to close it out, or it was just too late. Mm-hmm. Um, the rest, also in that race, we mentioned Harry, Harry K. Yarbrough was in his final race, as you hear Brett with his sickly Sam getting over a cold. You're running with the coffee against two on the show we haven't discussed yet, that's why. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically that. Uh, also, that was the final start for Benny Parsons. He ended up 34. So your final points, we mentioned already, Bill Elliott winning over us, who also also won the following season over Dale Earnhardt with certain points this year. Terry Labonte ends up in fourth. He wouldn't have a top five finish again to Saints until he won the championship in 1996. Ken Schrader rounds out the top five. Six through ten, Jeff Bodine, Daryl Waltrip, Davey Allison, who wouldn't give you his high in points again until 91-92. Phil Parsons in his career season of ninth place, and Sterling Marlin ends up in tenth. Also, rookie of the year. Neither driver really a factor in wins, I don't think, during the year, but Ken Bouchard beats out Ernie Irvin for that honor. Yeah, that's really... Sorry, too. Yeah, other than I guess you know Phil Parsons being ninth at points, like because the only time I really seen that car of his was that 500. Because you see that car all the time in the highlights. Mm-hmm. So uh, when it comes to the 1988 Daytona 500, Brett, would you recommend this race as one people should go back and watch? The only reason I would recommend this is more of a basically a historical significance. Because you had the Richard Petty wreck, you had Bobby and Davy Allison won two. Uh, the race did have some moments, like some wild racing with the free wide, you know, and four wide for the lead and stuff like that. But there gets there's a point in the race though where it gets kind of like lull they do with the green flag cycle. But it's probably supposed to be because you wouldn't see green flag cycles like this today. You know, going so long, they have like five second advantages and stuff like that. So. Um, the closest you're going to get to anything of that today is just watch the uh, Firecracker 400, the, the high racing version. Yes. Um, pretty decent race for the era. Again, I'm not sure what I was expecting. Um, but yeah, it was pretty competitive overall yeah. with Allison and Walter as the clear class of the field. Um, I still think they're still trying to get used to stuff a little bit with how they drive with the play conditions. And yeah, yeah, they were. They were trying to get used to like um, how the package, aero package was working with these restricted plates now. Um, 
So that was definitely a bit of a factor in how things went went that day. Mm-hmm. I'll be curious to see how it's changed. Or maybe okay, ninety five hundred might not be the best example, but I'd be curious to see with other players, even like eighty eight and eighty nine, if guys have figured it out yet. It was still kind of a mystery. Yeah, I was. Uh, I say like in like the nineties, so what? Never like maybe a few years. I would start to start to figure out a bit more, but yeah, it was definitely more a mystery though back then. All right, well, Brett, thanks for doing this once again. Uh, we'll have you back on. A couple times this year, we're going to have an episode that you and I are going to record when I'm home in the summer, and then we'll be doing the 1990 Daytona 500 uh, around your birthday as well. I'm not looking forward to it. You should know why if you know your NASCAR history. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to hear Brett's other appearances on the program, you can just search for the Lesser Rivers and Sports Podcast on your favorite providers. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again soon. Stock car folks will tell you that their sport is a family game. The Daytona 500 has certainly been that as we see the final standings. Bobby Allison being pushed into victory lane. Mike Joy is standing by. There are the top five. Here comes the winner. Bobby Allison for the third time in his career, averaging 137 miles an hour. Let's go to Mike Joy standing by with the winner. Bobby Allison, three Daytona 500s and a father-son finish. Oh, man, I'll tell you, this Davola Brothers Miller Buick really ran good. I'm telling you, Mike, what a thrill for me. What a thrill. I'll tell you, these guys have just been great for me. Uh, Jimmy Bennig and Keith Allman. And uh, I'm going to tell you what, uh, my parents are a, de- a real inspiration to me. And um, I'll tell you, it's just been a great day. Your sister watching at home, lying ill, your son right behind you and riding alongside on that victory lap. What could be better than this? I'll tell you, that was great. And Davey did such a great job, especially after getting the car wrecked so bad yesterday at the end of practice. Uh, I got to give a lot of credit to the whole Rainier crew, and uh, I'll tell you, Davey did a great job. And so did you. Congratulations, Bobby Allison. Back upstairs to Ken Squire. It's a big day for the seniors, the first winner over 50 years of age. Bobby Allison, the leader of the Alabama game. For Chris Economaki, Ned Jarrett, David Hobbs, Dave Despain, and Mike Joy, I'm Ken Squire saying so long from the Daytona International Speedway. The Daytona 500 has been a presentation of CBS Sports.